Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Corty, at NetworkNerd underscore. We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. We also wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is also live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. Okay, here we go. Episode number 220. Although I have to say, Nick, uh, the intro slightly different this time around. Is that worth talking about? Yeah, it was different. I think it's probably worth talking about. I mean, we needed to automate a little bit, make it sound the same each time. It's easier to edit that way, too. But I think there's another reason, John. Didn't you say you got fired? Ooh, yeah, that's right. So we had to change the wording a little bit. I did get fired. Uh, we're recording this on April 2nd, uh, 2023, and I was part of the 12,000 person layoff at Google back on January 20th, 2023. We're going to talk about that a little bit. It has been a naturally slightly stressful situation, but I think... Slightly? <laughs> I think that's First putting it mildly, happened. my friend. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's it was uh it was definitely there was some anxiety involved, but I feel like I got through it pretty successfully and I wanted to really kind of lay out what I thought the steps were, you know, if I take a step back and and try to be a little bit objective about it, why I got through it, you know, relatively unscathed. You know, there's always injuries in this kind of thing. Anytime you're part of a layoff or if you just get fired in a single situation or part of a downsizing, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter. It's you're never going to come out of it like feeling great. Right. But I felt like I, I got out of it feeling pretty OK, which was maybe kind of rare. So I wanted to talk about the things that got me there. So with that in mind, every single main point that we're going to talk about is one of the reasons why I think. I did okay. And it's not necessarily sequential. It's not necessarily a building, but they are kind of all part of the, all ingredients in the recipe for success. <laughs> so, And there's a lot of really good actionable advice here for listeners. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Some of it, you know, was stuff that I had done in preparation and some of it was stuff that I did in the moment. Um, so if you're in a situation where you're listening to this and you've been part of a downsizing it's difficult to roll back time, but you know, you can hopefully take the stuff that I did in the moment and, and apply that or see how it applies to your situation. And we'd love to hear back from you about whether this stuff was valuable or useful or not. You know, we want, we want the critical feedback as well as the, the positive. But with that in mind, uh, hopefully we can just jump right into it. For me, the first thing that was very helpful 
to de-stressing the whole situation was the financial preparedness. And we had talked about being financially prepared for for changes in, in careers before. And I had, you know, written some of that advice and I'd taken some of that advice. So, you know, my wife and I had built up an emergency fund. We were okay for all of our bills for like nine months to a year to like possibly even more. It ends up with Google severance package that extended it out even further. Um, so I felt like, you know, we had a really good, really good buffer, including, you know, with paying for health insurance out of pocket, which is, you know, super expensive. But, you know, we de- we definitely were in a position, thankfully, to be able to handle some of that. There's, I think, maybe some things that, you know, we could have done better. And, you know, if you're in a different circumstance like that, you know, you might be in an even better advantage. Um, for example, if both of us both my wife and myself were working and we both had the option to get health insurance from our employers, we would have been able to pivot to health insurance from her employer. We're just not in a position where that was going to make sense going into it. And then, you know, I'm not even sure if that makes sense to make uh, that kind of decision to have, you know, both partners working, you know, only to get health insurance might to be more prepared financially. So, you have to apply your own situation to that, like, uh, but that was ours. I would say that um, I was prepared with professional skills. This is kind of the second point. I know that right now in 2023, there's been a series of layoffs between 2022 and 2023 where there's a lot of software engineers on the market. The sales engineering role is always fairly difficult to fill. Sales engineering is a rare combination of skills. There's not that many people who have good experience in it. And it's always a struggle to hire people um, in the best of times. So I felt that I was going to be okay. In fact, you know, I got the email from Google at 2 a.m. Pacific time. It woke me up. I read it. And the first thing I did was I went to LinkedIn and I typed in sales engineering or sales engineer as a job search title. In the U.S., there were somewhere between 2,500 and 3,500 open positions. Obviously, not all of those were going to be applicable to me, but that was enough that I just kind of stopped thinking about it at that point. I hopped onto my work uh, laptop, uh, said goodbye to some people, gave out my contact information, and then I went to sleep. I didn't even wake up my wife and and tell her about the layoff until the next day. Maybe that was ego, maybe it was denial, but I just felt really secure in my ability to find another job. Like there weren't 2,500 other people, you know, all looking for those jobs. There just aren't that many sales engineers on the market, you know, period. It's always, always difficult to to hire sales engineers. Yeah. There's a talent shortage in that area for sure. I don't know, Nick, is that, are those things that you've kind of like worked on and, and thought about in the past? I hadn't thought about the rarity of the sales engineer or the the relative talent shortage there really until you mentioned it but i i can definitely appreciate keeping your skills sharp keeping your connections hot or warm at least Mm -hmm. and something you said using linkedin to your advantage if you haven't listened to the louise bunyan episodes especially 167 secrets of a linkedin expert that's 
a really good one, regardless of whether you are in this situation or not, to make sure you're using the search engine optimization on LinkedIn to its fullest. And I would definitely recommend the emergency fund. It can de-stress a lot of situations. Yeah, absolutely. Can't emphasize that enough. Not everybody's in a, in a situation where they can do that. But I always counsel people um, when I'm mentoring them to make sure that they are living not within the means, but even below. The things that you can do to cut out major spending in your life, I always suggest doing until you've built up that emergency fund. Or maybe until you're tracking towards it. There's always this urge if you get a new position or you get a promotion or you have a windfall to spend it on the things that are kind of in your mind. Like, oh, I've always wanted to handle this or I always wanted to do this. I wanted to have this experience. I wanted to visit Tahiti. You know, I, I want to do all those things too. I just prioritized that safety net first. So my wife and I took a vacation to Hawaii a couple of years ago, but we had the safety net in place first and we didn't spend our safety net money to go on a vacation to Hawaii. It's a little bit difficult because any kind of lifestyle inflation will affect the safety net that you need, right? So when we bought a new car, we needed to increase the safety net to make sure that we could pay off the car or at least have, you know, one year's worth of car payments within that safety net. When we moved from renting to owning a home, our monthly payment was higher in the new home by, you know, a couple thousand dollars. So we needed to increase our safety net to take that into account. That means that those things that you're adding to your life, you know, you also have to add the, the safety net to, to handle those things. You know, we had a baby. Okay, well, our the amount of money that we're spending on our child means that we have to have more money in the bank, you know, to be able to handle, you know, no income for nine months to a year. Diapers are expensive. Diapers are expensive. Something that I've learned. I'm going to move on to the third point. And that has to do with emotions and keeping an even keel. The The thing that I felt like really helped me in this regard was moving forward instead of looking backward. Um, there were definitely times that I felt low and anxious and, and angry at the situation, but there were a couple uh, things that I identified that were not helpful. Uh, the question, why did this happen, was irrelevant. It did happen, and answering the question or figuring out a, the answer to the question, why did it happen, would not help me move forward. So any time and energy that I spelt, spent on that question, trying to answer it, would not actually help me move forward in my goal of getting a new position. The question, why did this happen to me, seems more relevant, but it isn't. Not in a mass layoff situation. Like, they cut 12,000 people, like my name was on a list by some metric somewhere. Me figuring out that metric does not help me in my next position, right? Not It, it does not help me in the short term. What would it change? It changed, like, maybe what I would have done over the past two years. Like, that I would need a time machine to fix that. So, so that doesn't help. So kind of discarding spending time on that, I figured that I was trying to be very intentional about it. It wasn't denial. It wasn't the idea of like, John doesn't care. It's just, it didn't help. 
to figure it out. There were maybe some advantages that I had compared to other Googlers. I had been there for almost four years, um, maybe three and a half years. So maybe that wasn't enough time for me to say my identity is tied up with being a Google employee. And I'm sure that there were uh, longer tenured people where maybe that was you know, the first large company that they had ever worked for. Maybe they had had a series of jobs until their late 20s and then they caught on with Google and worked there for a decade or more. And, you know, it had become a major part of their identity and it's very difficult to let that go. I'm just speculating that that might be an issue, right? That's a great point. That wasn't something for me. Nobody ever gave me enough money to put Google as my middle name. I think that kind of personally, the, the times that you could really invest in a company to that degree would require like a lot of ownership in that company. And I just didn't have enough ownership of Google <laughs> for, for me to, to think about Google that way. It was a position. It was a job. It was part of my career. I was super passionate about it. But if they didn't want me doing the job there, then I could be super passionate about that job somewhere else helping a different organization honestly like i was fine with that let's kind of move on and find the next exciting thing that is not i'm not saying that any of this is easy it's just something that i found myself being a little bit more even keeled about you know not oh like why did this have to happen or you know the the intricacies of of a severance package and changing over time and um, you know, what am I going to do? Like, you know, what did I do wrong for this to happen to me? Like none of those things really made sense to think about. It doesn't mean that I haven't thought about it. It's just not the major focus of my time and efforts. I just want to jump in here real quick. Cause you mentioned feeling angry. I could imagine that is a common feeling during this time. I listened to Brendan Burchard quite a bit. He's the guy that wrote high performance habits but he also founded a company called Growth Day. And if you subscribe to Growth Day, you get a daily podcast from him. And he was talking about one, actually just today, about dealing with anger. And he says, you know, anger is an emotion that comes as a wave over us, but it's also very physical. So if you get angry, you may just have to, number one, take a break, take a take a beat, as he calls it. Maybe do some exercises, get the anger out a little bit. I don't know that you need to go punch a wall, but maybe do some jumping jacks, push-ups, some kind of physical activity. And then think about what it is you really want out of the situation. I'm sure in John's case, he wants to be employed again, not necessarily by Google. And then ask yourself, what is my request? What's something I want to, to ask? And in this case, maybe you ask your network, maybe you ask a friend, someone someone you know. And then the last step is step into your higher self or the best version of you when you make that request or make that ask. And he's talking about this in the context of reacting to a person or situation. So I I find that somewhat applicable to to the situation here, and, and hopefully that helps somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I actually have a document that I wrote that was like, why I'm upset about being let go from Google, you know, and it had the the reasons why I was upset and the, the reasons why I felt it was an unjust situation. And every time I thought about it, I would open up the document and go, the things that I'm thinking, have I written them down already? 
and you know 95% of the time I had this was a, a you know stock price move from Google, by Google but it didn't actually affect the stock price enough uh you know Google had tons of cash why did they need to fire a bunch of people Google had a bobble on their artificial intelligence demo day that negatively impacted the the stock price more than firing 12,000 people positively impacted the stock. All those things went into a document and then it was kind of 80% cleansed from my system. And if somebody asked me about it, you know, I was like, Hey, what's going on there? Why do you think this happened? You know, then I could open up the document and kind of read from it, (laughs) but I didn't have to think about it anymore. And I actually didn't feel angry enough to seek out like help from other people about it. I think that would that would be an important thing to do, right? If if it was consuming you, then you need help. You should go get help from a spiritual leader, from a professional therapist. There's any number of options, you know, friend, family member, maybe exercise. Absolutely. But it sh- you know, you should try to get to a point where your anger at the organization that let you go isn't the thing that's dominating your life because that's not going to help you. The anger, the frustration, that's not going to help you. Right. Do no harm. Yeah. To me, <laughs> to, to yourself, right? Like it's focus on things that will actually help you what your next position position is going to be. How did you figure out what you wanted to do next? Well, I think that kind of rolls into my next point, which is, I set aside time to consciously consider my options. What is it that I wanted to do next? I had a bunch of options. Um, Going to sales and engineering at a different company was one option. I needed to, if that's what I wanted to do, and that was the majority of my options, I needed to figure out what that organization was going to be. Um, So I thought about interesting competition that I'd had over the years, interesting stories in the press, you know, I kind of tried to roll back through my history and, and, you know, figure those things out. And then I had a brainstorming session, you know, the types of pain that companies were feeling and solutions in the marketplace that might help with that pain, uh, companies with solutions in that industry or, you know, just meeting those needs. So that, you know, really was kind of the what type of company uh, organization do I want to, you know, help be on the technical sales side for? So I think things that I could have done better there, I could have opened that document in my personal like, cloud and kept it as a rolling document, living document, just continuously. Anytime I came across a company or a competitor that sounded really interesting, really neat. And, you know, I had the thought, oh, that might be interesting you know, to work, you know, for that company or, you know, for a specific person even. Like, I should have recorded that. I could have done that better. But lesson learned, right? One of the other options was being a manager on a sales engineering team. That's something that I had been considering for five years, maybe, before I went to Google Cloud, you know, certainly. While I was at Google Cloud, I wanted to acquire skills to become a leader. I didn't necessarily want to become a leader at Google Cloud. I should say manager instead of leader. It was a little bit, it seemed overwhelming, like what frontline managers were doing at Google. Maybe it was improving over time, but it just seemed like really, really difficult 
and a lot of split attention. You know, I wanted to to acquire those skills, though, right? How to help people to get better, how to onboard somebody effectively. So, you know, I really wanted to help out with that, how to to best interview people to, to understand how they are, you know, whether or not they could do the job, you know, at the organization that I represent. You know, those are all skills that I could work on that would make me more valuable as an employee wherever I was, including at Google, and that were portable. So back to the kind of adding professional skills, right? So, you know, that was that was an option as well. I looked at tech marketing and developer relations, and I think pretty quickly I discarded it. Not because <laughs> I didn't find it interesting. You know, those are interesting roles. They're very front of mind and you represent the company more and more. You become the face of a product or a suite of products or, you know, an entire portfolio of products. Um, for example, you know, we've definitely talked to people who where that's the job, right? I just hadn't prepared for that job. Back to preparing with professional skills. I had not put in the time and effort to be front of mind, to, to, to have my finger in, in those types of activities. Easily point to them and say, you know, I've had one foot into tech marketing, you know, kind of for the last year. And you can, here's my proof of work for that. So that's why I kind of discarded that as like a, like a strong option uh, moving forward where I felt like I, recruiters weren't re- reaching out to me and saying, hey, do you think you'd be interested in these tech marketing roles? Re- recruiters are reaching out to me saying, would you be interested in these sales engineering roles? You know, that is just something to keep in mind. If that was something that I wanted to do in the future, then I would need to change how I prepared in the present. You would need to gain expertise for those while you're doing something else, just like you did with your the portability or transferability of the interviewing of people. Exactly right. Exactly right. What else? Next major point was the resume update. This was fairly easy because I've been keeping it up to date. As I did things, as I accomplished things uh, with uh, metrics, activities that I could point to, campaigns that I had organized in sales campaigns that I had organized and had a major technical role in, even originated, you know, from having a technical idea. I could point to those things and put them in the resume and say, this is what I accomplished. And here's the major, you know, job skill that that led to. I had been keeping my eye on SE job listings the entire time. And, you know, always looked at the types of skills that that people said were required skills. And the types of jobs that I looked at skewed senior for senior positions, you know, principal positions, maybe on a global team where they really need somebody, you know, with a lot of experience. And, and those were the kinds of things that I tried to emphasize in, in my my resume. In LinkedIn, I didn't make a big post about being laid off and looking for a new position, but I did flip the switch and say that I was open to work and and actively looking. So that I think increases your visibility to technical recruiters or recruiters in general. Oh, I should mention that, you know, I kind of identified two major types of jobs that I'd be going after. The the sales engineer and the sales engineering manager. And I wrote a resume for each of those. 
we we kind of talk about that in the past where you have like a here's kind of my rolling experience at each different position that I've had. Um, I made sure that was up to date and then I kind of customized a you know job skills area for a sales engineering manager in a sales engineering position both of those I, maybe I should speak to that a little bit more like you know some people would ask the question you know if you're considering a management position why would you also consider an individual contributor position and uh, I, I just want to let people know that you know you don't like the natural progression of career as a individual contributor as a, in a sales engineering role is not sales engineering manager. It's a senior version of sales engineer. Um, I think we've talked about in the past, you know, the, the overlap in job skills between the two positions is not a lot. 60% differentiated, you know, so 40% overlap at most. Knowing the technology, knowing the skills, you have to know the the skills to be able to judge whether somebody's doing a good job at those skills and having the skills and knowing what good looks like is an important part of it, but it's not the majority of the activities of the position. You know, I also looked at, you know, what would a kind of a major sales engineering role look like? And, you know, that kind of branched out to maybe one of, maybe an early sales engineering hire at a startup or, you know, like a really high level sales engineering hire at a, a company that was out of the startup phase, but like really growing into kind of a, a more enterprise like sales organization um, and needing to acquire those people and the, you know, that would influence that. And then, you know, maybe grow into like, you know, high level management at a certain point just because of the growth of the organization. You know, those were considerations that I had. Hey, John, just real quick, are you able to give maybe one bulleted job experience example from the SE resume versus the solution engineering manager resume just to point people back to how the job experience you highlighted might be different? Yeah, absolutely. So for the sales engineering manager resume, I put in performance management because I had a person who reported to me for a quarter who was just out of Google's recent college graduate academy. So, you know, one of the things that happens when you're at a large company and you realize that there aren't, you know, a whole bunch of sales engineers out there to hire um, is that you try to grow your own. So you create an organization that hires people out of school and turns them into sales engineers and tries to give them a background and, you know, experience. Um, and one of the things at Google's program was rotating through uh, field assignments. So this person reported to me for a quarter and we, you know, I was the, basically the, the manager who was overseeing day-to-day -day, uh, work for this person. And it was an extremely positive experience, um, really kind of helped bring about some of the, you know, like land some of the advice that I've been given about being a manager. Like you can't do that person's job for them. And you can't, you can't necessarily like, like hold their hand longer than a couple weeks, right? They have to go out and experience other people um, and how they work, but you can help them, you know, decompress and, and start that pattern matching process of, oh, I saw this person do this, but this other person did like a slightly different thing. And this third person did a yet another slightly different thing. Why would I do one over the other? 
those kinds of things were, you know, very much on my mind when I wrote my sales engineering manager resume. For sales engineering, I emphasized coming up with a white space campaign. So that was a position I was in in uh, at Google Cloud, where the majority of my customers were not Google Cloud customers. So they were on a list of organizations that I was targeting to, to sell to for kind of the very first time at Google Cloud and how I went about from a technical standpoint, matching up the solutions that Google Cloud had with the industry vertical or kind of, you know, horizontal pain point that that organization might have because of where and who they were. And then the titles that we would need to target, then I actually went and found those people and then how we executed the campaign to go out, reach out to those people. Cause I, I wrote some of the emails to, you know, pique their interest in the statistics of the outcomes of that and how I adjusted the campaigns over time. And so th those, you know, those are the th kinds of things that I emphasized uh, in my SE resume, just, I think mainly because it was new and I, some of the other things that I already had were running an expansion campaign at a customer that I already had. So I already kind of had that as a job skill point in my resume. And whereas the, the breaking into a new customer was something that I, I didn't have. That was why I kind of created that bullet point and added that on. I love that you created two different resumes. Super, super important point for everybody. Right, right. Of course, I think we've talked about this before. When I actually applied for jobs, I customized those resumes even more to make sure that my skill section was directly speaking to the required uh, skill points that the organization was looking for. So I might have worded something uh, one way and the skill that they were looking for was worded slightly differently, but it was the same skill. Then I would just adjust my wording to make sure that I was, you know, capturing that point, maybe, you know, added it as a sub point to like my skill major header. I also, I think kind of the, the final point here is that I went and I worked my, my network. That means that I created that network in the first place, that this is like the major thing that I use LinkedIn for. Whenever I, I meet people that I'm working with directly at, at the employer that I have, like sometimes they move on and sometimes I move on. So we are not at the, the same organization anymore. If the organization I'm with sells through the channel partner community, I make sure to add those people within LinkedIn so I know where they're at and where they end up. And I keep in touch with those people. And that was the network that I, I worked. You know, I kind of said of the people that I know, where have they worked in the past and where are they working now? So that I can get an idea of the types of organizations that I might be able to get a recommendation to. Here's something that like maybe is kind of, you know, I felt was weird at the time, but it ended up being very helpful. Um, every time a recruiter reached out to me, over the years and I felt like it was a quality interaction like they had actually done their research and they were reaching out to me for a job that actually you know made sense for them to reach out to me for I kind of kept them in in, uh, in a list so I went back to that list and I reached out to those recruiters and said hey when you reached out to me I said oh that's an interesting position but I'm not on the market right now 
and and I that's something that I did right. It would be right there in the the LinkedIn message. Hey, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not on the market. I'm I'm happy where I am right now, but but thank you. And then so you know, I'd say that's changed. Now I am on the market. So you know, let me know what it is that you're working on. Um, here's kind of what I'm looking for, and. And, uh, you know, I reached out to those people and I got some interesting interactions and some interesting interviews. I mentioned ha- having that list of people on LinkedIn and where they were working. The The companies that I brainstormed, you know, I reached out to the people that I knew working at those companies to say, what is it like working at that company? And if it sounded interesting, then I asked them for a referral. And I got, you know, several... um interviews that way as well. All that to say, you have to create that network ahead of time and you have to keep it active along the years. Reach out and and let people know that you're still alive and and ask them how they're doing. Maybe at those major inflection points when when they change jobs or when they get promoted, you just want to ping them and say, congratulations, how are things going? Let me know how the new job goes, you know, three months from now. Let me, let me know how the new job role is, you know, if they take a different role at their existing company. You know, I want to hear about it. I want to hear those stories. Let me know what I can do for you. Uh, if, if people join an organization and you know a bunch of people in that organization, you can say, hey, I, these are the people that I can introduce you to. You know, that that's always helpful too. It's activity and it can seem painful, but it's it's developing and maintaining your network, which will help you in situations like this. When you are looking for a job, at a time that you didn't anticipate looking for a job. I would say maybe the one thing that I could have done better was a LinkedIn announcement. I just never felt stressed enough to feel like I needed people's sympathy. I wasn't looking for sympathy at the time. I was looking for active help, and I was kind of getting a little bit overwhelmed with active help, to be honest. You know, people were reaching out to me, even from just flipping my LinkedIn, you know, open to work status. Like it, it changes your picture in LinkedIn and it, you know, has hashtag open for work around the, your picture. So people noticed and they were jumping in to help, you know, even without me saying like, Hey, I got laid off from Google. I need your help. That, that was something that I was definitely considering doing. And if I wasn't just, like I said, overwhelmed with help, I would have done it. And I would imagine people who knew you worked there may have reached out to check in because they heard about the layoffs and didn't know if you were impacted. Yeah, yeah, that definitely happened. One of the things that happened with Google's layoff was that, like I said, they kind of let people know at 2 a.m. And then at six by 6 a.m., we were frozen out of uh, our accounts. So we didn't have access to our contact list didn't have access to our email, didn't have access to our calendars. So, you know, it was kind of like, oh, do I have everybody's like contacts in my personal Gmail account? And if I don't, like, how do I get in touch with them? And I had managed to get on my team's group chats, like I said, at like, you know, between 2 and 2.30 to, to say goodbye and now that I think about it, I'm not sure that I put my personal contact information in those messages because it just never occurred to me that people would not be able to get in touch with me, you know, like that they would say, oh, hey, you don't have access to your email address anymore. I mean, maybe that is kind of like standard operating procedure in a mass layoff. I just never thought about it. But um, 
you know, in retrospect, maybe you uh, make sure people have your contact information ahead of time. It's easier to think about when you know that, oh, I'm putting in my two weeks notice and yeah, I'm going to send this email out on my last day. In your case, you found out unexpectedly and you have to decide what to do from there. Right. It was 2 a.m. and I didn't think of everything. Right. It would. <laughs> Maybe that's something to think about. Like you might find out about these things at 2 a.m. or you might find out about it at, you know, 8 in the morning or unfortunately as some people found out when they uh when they tried to badge into the office and their badge didn't work like i said hit people negatively in different ways and uh you know fortunately i wasn't just out of labor with a new baby as some people were i mean there you know any number of horror stories that didn't involve me i still count myself as fairly fortunate so you know i did find a new position i am currently i would say four or five weeks into it should we uh, talk about what that is and, and how nope. I got it and what that process is? Not this week. Oh, okay. Not this week. I mean, there's not enough time this week, John. I feel like this is shaping up to be a two-parter. That is shocking. I know we don't do that very often, but let's make that part two. All right. Well, in that case, uh, stay tuned next week for part two, and uh, let's get out of here. Just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at BJourneyman. For Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Adios. Adios.